So what, as a personal historian, what I try to do is to find who are the people in my circle who would most likely refer business to me. And that's what got me tuned into financial advisors and wealth managers as another profession that is in an adjacent and overlapping business. And they have clients who might benefit from my services. So that's- You just stole my segue though. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly where I wanted us to head. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi guys, welcome to the show. This is where we talk about growing our life story business. We help clients record their memories and life stories in books, videos, audios, and other creative types of projects. We help them capture their life stories so it can be shared with family and friends. And in the case of people like David O'Neill, with communities and employees of businesses. If you listened to last week's episode, you heard David talk about his business story trust and how he started by doing life stories for individuals and couples and families. And then several years into it, he made the connection between life stories and business histories. So recording the history of a a business. We also talked about how he used networking, um, not social media, but honest to goodness, face-to-face networking, how he used that to grow his business. If you haven't listened yet, I encourage you to do so. Um, Personally, I learned a heck of a lot and hopefully you will too. This week, we're going to hear the second part of that interview. The topic, again, is networking, but David expands on it by sharing the specific kinds of networking referral partners that he's looking for. So financial advisors, wealth managers, um, the kinds of people who can connect him with the clients that will benefit from his services. So we're going to hear about who he wants to meet when he goes to networking events, what he does when he meets them, and what the follow-up looks like. Without further ado, here's the interview. You and I have talked before, and and I know that you work with wealth managers, and I'm using that term loosely, work with. Um, But even on your website, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up here on your website under your services, uh, you list. So there's three tabs, and one is for families, one is for businesses, and one is for family advisors. So that is a um, demographic that you are very specifically reaching out to. Why don't you tell us what you mean by that? So you know, there's probably people out there who maybe don't know what a wealth manager is, or, or you know, who falls under that umbrella. Um, and and then I want to get into some specifics on, on how you are, uh, what that relationship looks like between you and the people who are serving the, the people with enough discretionary income to be hiring us. Well, the, the definitions of uh, like who these people are is very important because um, it's all over the map uh, in terms of, you know, if you've ever sought out your own financial advice, it's like who do you know? Who do I oh, talk yes, to, and, yes. and how do they, <laughs> and how do they help me? So, just some definitions. Um, like the terms wealth managers and financial advisors are broad, catch-all terms that uh, can be defined by the person who's using the term. There's no um, industry definition for them. There's nothing that's. Uh, there's no certification for a financial advisor. Uh, So it's just a broad term of uh, describing the people who help individuals uh, invest 
uh, either for retirement or for college savings or for you know some other purpose. Uh, and those investments could be you know mutual funds or real estate or bonds or a or, nice family history or a nice family history. That's a great <laughs> investment. It's an investment that pays dividends for generations to come. <laughs> I'm sounding like it's tongue in cheek, but you and I both know that that's actually true. It's it not, is it's- true. That's right. Well, and and the well, and the key is to find uh, these professionals, these wealth managers, we'll call them for now, who have that attitude, which is that they take a holistic view of their clients, that they know their clients very well, that they see that um, the person's life story is a missing piece in their um, financial plan or um, or in their uh, plan to pass on wealth to the next generation. So, uh, and it, it ranges, you know, the, the, in terms of, you know, how much uh, people have to invest. Although the thing is that I have found um, people of, of all in, uh, ranges of income who are interested in telling their life story. So it's not just, um, you know, their income level. I mean, it does make it easier for them to purchase uh, uh, more services or to spend uh, higher dollar amounts on a project, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're necessarily interested in telling their stories. Right. Um, and I found the same thing. I mean, some of my very best clients and best, I mean, the ones who were most invested, they had the most heart investment mm-hmm. in their stories. Some of them were of very modest means, but they prioritized having um, having a book done for their family. So it, it really does not matter. You know, it's a little bit like vacation. Some people are going to... Um, even if you have all kinds of money, you're not necessarily taking the most elaborate or adventurous um, or exciting vacations. And other people do, even if they don't necessarily seem like they have the means. But yeah, yeah, I, it, there's, there's definitely not, um, it makes, like you said, it makes it easier if they have the means to finance a project. But um, you, you can't judge who's going to say, I'm going to make this happen. Because it's important to me, right? But the the uh, probably the more important thing, other than a financial investment, is the emotional investment mm-hmm. and the investment of time. I had um, probably my wealthiest client. This is a huge project. Um, stop the project, and I have no idea if he has plans to continue because it was too time consuming for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, you know, working on some deals and 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 working together took him away from that. And he's relatively young too, so he didn't have, you know, he's still working. So that was the choice that he made. Even though financially he could afford anything, it was it wasn't the dollars. It was the 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 more valuable resource to him was his time. And at mm-hmm. the moment, he, he just didn't have the time. So that's something to keep in mind is that um, you need the emotional buy-in uh, just as much as the financial buy-in in in getting prospects to agree to work with us. Right. So, so back to the financial advisors, uh, you know, there's this whole range, you know, it runs from stockbrokers who are also called registered representatives. There are accountants, uh, insurance agents, 
there are certified financial planners, uh, often called CFPs, uh, which are, uh, they have a, a designation or belong to an organization that gives them that designation. Um, there are bankers, mutual fund representatives, uh, uh, people called estate planners, which are often uh, attorneys. Um, and so it really, there's just a huge range of, of people who are in this field. And the question is, if you're trying to reach out and network with them, who are the ones to uh, uh, target and to uh, to cultivate? And the ones that, um, I can tell you the ones that I, I don't reach out to, which makes your life easier, Um which are stockbrokers uh, or any commission salesperson. Hmm. Generally speaking, I'm sure uh, their goal is to, um, they're very transaction oriented, which is that they, they want to sell a stock, they want to uh, make a trade, they want to sell an insurance product. They aren't necessarily look, taking a holistic view of their clients. Now, of course, this is a broad generalization and there are exceptions to that, but uh, but there are other kinds of advisors, particularly CFP, certified financial planners, and the way they get compensated usually is what's called assets under management. That if you have, uh, usually they usually take a percentage of the assets that they help their clients uh, invest. So if somebody has a million dollars to invest, they'll you know they'll take one percent of that a year to help manage manage the money and. That gives them the time and the latitude to be a little bit more, um, again, take a holistic view of their clients and recognize that uh, their their wealth plan and their financial plan, uh, the missing piece is this, um, you know, where the wealth came from. You know, what's the story behind that? How do you avoid affluenza among the grandchildren who will inherit this wealth and 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 those kinds of things. So, okay, yeah. explain. I've heard the term before, and um, but can you just briefly explain affluenza oh. <laughs> and that whole shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves concept? Sure. There's uh, in family businesses primarily. There's a concept known as shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, uh, which is a corollary to affluenza. Affluenza is influenza through affluence, <laughs> and it's uh, you know a uh, an entitled. Uh, a usually young person who's inherited vast amounts of wealth, who feels uh, entitled, again, entitled and um, doesn't really uh, feel like they need to work or contribute to society. You know, those, those kinds of uh, rare cases of, of extreme uh, disregard for uh, the public good. Um, and then shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves has, uh, it's a universal term in Asia. It's often called rice patties to rice patties in three generations. Huh. That's interesting. Um, and the idea is uh, the first generation uh, rolls up their sleeves and earns the money. The second generation sustains the money and the third generation blows it all and then has to return to rolling up their shirt sleeves and uh, starting from scratch. And so it's a common problem uh, that, you know, all societies have is that uh, when you have grandchildren growing up in uh, wealth, they don't know what it means to struggle and to work hard to earn uh, that income. And that's why the story is so important, because when families are able to convey the stories of how the wealth was earned, 
the struggles that went they went through in order to earn it, the mistakes that they made, the lessons uh, that they learned, and so on. Uh, that helps. And there's documentary evidence. Uh, some listeners might be aware of the study that was done through Emory University um, about the power of uh, family stories and how it creates resilience uh, mm-hmm. among teenagers. Um, there's a, uh, if someone looks up just the uh, Emory University Generation Stories study, um, they'll see the results of that. It's very powerful. Um, and I often use that study or quote uh, citations of the study in presentations that I give uh, uh, with wealth managers to highlight the importance of of telling telling the story and making sure that the younger generations know the story, um, because often as we know from all clients is that they think that their family members already know the story, but in fact they don't. So um, uh, and so that's the uh, the value uh, of of in general telling these stories. And again, it it doesn't. I mean, you can have affluenza in any in any family when you have. Uh, I mean, I think I, at some point in my life, I felt pretty entitled, <laughs> even though even though I. I don't you know, think you have to be terribly affluent. Right. I think you just have to be maybe a teenager yes, between certain years. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a common affliction. It is a common affliction. Well, okay. So, David, you said that you you do not focus at all on the um, the people the financial people who are more driven by the transactional um, uh, transactional relationships with their with their clients so you're focusing on the people who are building more relationships with their clients um, and then what does that look like how do you get that ball rolling well it often starts with a single relationship and then that then the referral uh, train starts. So for example, um, I had back in 2008, actually, uh, there's a reference to it in, um, on my website. I was interviewed by the New York times. Oh boy. Uh, good for you. Yeah, <laughs> it was, a uh, it was, uh, early beginner's luck. And, uh, so I was profiled. It was the Sunday times, uh, Columbus day weekend. Uh, in 2008, and so they, I was included, and in, with a couple other personal historians about this as a business, and a local attorney, an estate planning attorney, um, and that's an important term too. Estate planning is just helping people, uh, uh, and it's not only lawyers, but it's also financial planners, uh, t- uh, um, accountants who help families of any means make sure that they. Uh, pass on their wealth efficiently and um, and avoid uh, going through probate. If you've ever been the uh, the person who has to help a dece- you know help a family of a deceased member go through probate, it's a very painful process. Um, so they just make sure that 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 happens and things get passed on in the most efficient way and according to your wishes. Right, that's the whole idea of estate planning, and. Um, and for me, that's really the, the crux of it is that it's that passing on of wealth, but our goal as uh, personal historians is to pass on the wisdom along with that wealth. And so um, to make sure that there's uh, an opportunity to, to tell those stories. And so this uh, estate planning attorney uh, was very interested in this article. He reached out to me 
and uh, we met. And um, he said, wow, I, I know some people I'd like to introduce you to. And so he introduced me to a person who's a, a financial advisor here in the Boston area. Uh, and they have clients who uh, have you know, lots of different uh, assets that they have available to them. And, and so they um, said they refer me to their clients and say, here, we know that this, you know, your story is important to you. We know someone who can help you uh, capture those stories and pass them on to your family. So it's, it's, uh, it's planting seeds and then cultivating those seeds and, and kind of, benefiting from the generosity of other professionals who say, wow, this is really great. I think I'd like to tell you, uh, introduce you to other professionals I know who I think would benefit from knowing you. So, um, and plus the other thing is that I, I've worked hard to kind of position myself as someone who plays well in that space in of in the with among financial advisors so for example in, in what way well what, what if uh, you know one of the characteristics of of writers and of uh, uh, people who are interested in this work is they we like we're basically introverts <laughs> <laughs> right. right we like being at home we like you know write, writing we'll go to the library do some research we'll do some what all that solitary work. So the challenge is you need, in order to network, you need to step out of that. You need to put on a suit or uh, some professional attire and go out and give a firm handshake and, you know, do the networking thing. And so uh, that takes practice to do Mm -hmm. uh, because there's some kind of right ways of doing it and not so right ways of doing it. And, um, And the other thing that I've learned over time is that financial advisors are very protective of their client relationships. So that's what I was going to ask you. Like, aren't there, um, my, my knowledge of this is very fuzzy, but aren't there, um, people in, I might not even be talking about financial advisors. I might be talking more about the attorneys that, you know, the wealth manager attorneys, but I thought there were some designations. Some people with certain designations are allowed to bring you on and really work with you as a um, sort of a collaborator to offer a service to their clients. And then there are others who that's very taboo and, you know, against the law, but they're allowed to, to send you on as a referral. Is that right? That's right. There are limits to uh, the kinds of gifts that uh, right. these professionals can give to their clients. So, um, and so most of the relationships are really referrals that they, they introduce me to their clients or recommend that their clients contact me in order to do a project. Um, so there's no financial relationship that I have with the advisor. It's, uh, it's really, they're doing it because they, they refer a lot, a lot of services to their clients. Maybe there's someone who does art appraisals or there's someone who, um, you know, I mean, for the, uh, people who are, what are called ultra high net worth. Um, you know, they have, uh, people to manage properties and 
pay household staff. <laughs> you know, it, it can, uh, uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous, you know, they need all these support mm-hmm. services. So advisors are in a position to just, you know, make a good recommendation. So the other, they have to really trust that I'm going to represent them well and be a good, a good professional who's going to uh, reflect positively on them because they've mm. kind of stuck their neck out a little bit in saying, you know, so it takes a while to, to cultivate those relationships because they want to, they have to be able to trust you. I know that you do presentations mm. Um, mm. and are those, uh, are those, I, I'm sure you do all kinds, um, you know, for what everybody else does, you know, we go to the retirement communities and do presentations, but you specifically also reach out to the financial community. So the financial um, planners and wealth managers and, um, and you give presentations for them. Is that right? That's right. And it can take a, a couple different forms. Some of them are internal. So I'll just give a presentation about the importance of capturing and preserving life stories uh, to uh, an advisor and his or her colleagues, uh, often um, they're you know their lunchtime meetings or you know they set aside a time in their calendar to have other professionals come and just tell them about different kinds of services. And so I, mm-hmm. that's something that I offer to them. And then I'll often, not, well, not often, occasionally I'll do uh, client presentations. So uh, the advisor maybe has an annual meeting with for their clients to talk about what's happening with the markets and what kind of services they're introducing or something new. And they'll have me come on and, and give a presentation in conjunction with that about, uh, again, the importance of uh, capturing and preserving life stories. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because if, if, if for any of us, I mean, I'm sure if, if you have a financial advisor, you've been invited to the dinner or, or just what you're talking about, you know, occasionally they'll, they want to ra- bring in their flocks. And I'm sure that it's partially because they want to have build um, that relationship with their clients so that they can retain them as clients, you know, and serve them well. Um, but what, what a great opportunity for us to get out there and tell people how wonderful it is to do life stories. So in those instances where you're actually talking to a room full of people who could be potentially your clients, um, how do you, how do you couch the presentation? Is it um, the importance of passing down stories? Is it how, you know, this, these are a few steps you can do to record your own story. And by the way, I can help you if you, you know, you need further help. Um, What's the thrust of it when you're in that situation? It's everything but the last, Okay. So it's uh, life stories are important. Here's some examples. I use a lot of uh, audio clips of interviews that I've done um, because I find that that really resonates with uh, the audience to hear. I mean, this is this is what you know stirs my soul is to hear a person uh, on an audio recording tell their life story. And so uh, it often uh, touches them, it strikes a chord in them to hear someone who might sound like their grandfather or their grandmother or, oh, that, that reminds me of Uncle Fred or whatever it is. Um, so I use those recordings to just to um, 
get back to that idea of an emotional buy-in that they have to believe that this is an important thing to do, regardless of how much it costs or what the investment is. And then I give them some ideas of things that they can do or what the range of things are, you know, from just collecting family biographical information to uh, family recipes. I always talk about food since I'm driven by the food that I eat and, uh, <laughs> um, and how important that is to preserve those uh, that family heritage, uh, that culinary heritage, um, and some other tips and ideas of things that they can do themselves. And then, um, and then that's it. I, I never say, oh, and if you were to work with me, this is what we would do. Because that's not why I'm there. I'm there. I mean, usually, uh, I think almost always, the, the advisor is paying me to give the presentation. Oh, you're paid for these. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. That's an element I didn't yeah. know. Right. Okay. I, um, I'm trying okay. to think of the times when I wasn't paid for it. Probably earlier on, I wasn't paid. Um, but I, yeah, I asked them for a, a, a fee because it takes time to prepare them. And, uh-huh. uh, and, and how long is the talk or is it, does it range all over the place? 30 to 40 minutes, I would say. Um, and, and so they, I'm not there to give a, uh, a pitch about, right, you know, it's, right. it's a and very And I'm sure soft, the financial yeah. advisors are very, um, clearly do not want anything to come across yeah. as a sales pitch to their clients. Right. right. And, and, right. um, so it's a, uh, it's, I guess it's a, a soft sell in that I, they see me, they know my name and that's, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind sharing what your honorarium is or it ranges, it, it, it's usually whatever uh, I usually ask them, whatever's customary. Oh um, yeah. That's a great way to put um, it because, you know, I might think, Oh, I think they should, they should pay me $500 for this presentation. And they'll say, Oh, well, it's customary for us to pay a thousand dollars. I'm like, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, that, that was the advice I always gave my kids when they were babysitting. Just, right. you know, if they ask you how much you charge, just say, well, you know, whatever you usually give, yes. <laughs> because, you know, a, a 13 year old is definitely going to undercharge right. <laughs> in most cases. Um, okay. That's, that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't, I never thought about that part of it. And then I'm sure it probably feels really good because you are not going in like you've, you're being paid for your time. You're not going in with the intention of getting clients. If it happens, I'm sure it's wonderful. And I'm sure that is probably, I would guess at the back of your mind that that would be one of your objectives, but you can really go in there as a person who is a lover of life stories and really share your, um, um, your passion for it and your belief that and how important it is. And there's no chance of you coming across as schmarmy or salesman which I think is a very big fear for a lot of us um, who get into this business, because I don't think by nature, most of us are salespeople. But if we know that we're just going to share our excitement about, um, about doing life stories and what a wonderful thing it is, it's, it probably feels really good then to get in front of a group and, and talk to them about that. Yes. Yeah. I, I always love doing them. I mean, I used to be a school teacher, so I, you know, anytime to stand up in front of a group of people <laughs> and, you know, share my ideas, I'm not shy about that. So. Um, right. Well, um, 
if somebody we're we're getting close to the end of our time, which I'm going to have to ask you to come on at a later date because there are, there are a few other things that I wanted to talk with you. But um, for for listeners who maybe want to go this route, who maybe want to um, make some connections with some um, financial planners and maybe do these kinds of presentations, um, what what kind of advice would you give them? I assume you know the the networking groups would be a good place to start. Anything else? It's, uh, it always, uh, my experience is that these kinds of professionals value personal relationships. And, and I think that's part of the challenge these days because we're bombarded with uh, messages that we need to use social media to reach out to and reach clients, and which is nice. That's always a good thing. But uh, these are very, um, you know, uh, financial advisors, accountants know more about their clients than like their spouses do. So, oh, <laughs> you know, these right. are very uh, uh, close relationships that these professionals have with their clients. And so they value that personal connection. So I would, you know, recommend one, uh, connect with the local chamber of commerce uh, as a starting point and go to a networking meeting and uh, seek out someone who self-identifies as a financial advisor. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and even to uh, be more specific, I, if, if they um, work with a local firm rather than a national firm, that's better. Um, so not the big branded names that people know, at least as a starting point. Um, because they're more interested in the local, uh, the local community, not that the others aren't again, but it's a, um, and they, they might be more interested in, in partnering with you. Um, uh, again, that's not always, but that's a a place to, to start. It's, it's helpful to be specific. So if you find a, a local financial advisor, um, and after the, once you meet at the networking event and you exchange business cards, follow up and say, would you like to meet for coffee? I'd love to learn more about what you do. And I'd like to tell you a little bit more about what I do. Or if they express any interest in, oh, wow, that sounds really interesting what you do. And I say, oh, would you like to you know, get together for coffee and we, I could tell you more. And if they say no, then that's good. Then take their card and you know, send them a thank you note, but don't follow up with them. <laughs> you know, you have to right. find uh, people who are willing uh, to uh, uh, and show interest in what you do. And then uh, say, you know, uh, uh, you know, do you have any clients who you think you could ask them directly? Uh, do you have any, you know, after you share the kind of work that you do and how beautiful it is and how thorough you are and how professional you are, you know, um, and they'll say, oh, I've got a couple of clients who I think might benefit from this and, and say, okay, well, how would, what kind of introduction would work best? You know, how would you like to do that? Oh, you know, good. that's a way to start. And then, um, say, oh, you know, do you ever do client events? You know, I, I mean, and you, and you also have to be a good presenter. I mean, you have to have confidence and, and have some experience. You don't want the client event to be the first presentation that you give. Right. right. So that's why giving those presentations to, uh, you know, the senior center and others helps you hone, hone that uh, presentation. And then, 
um, uh, it's like uh, shampooing, lather, rinse, repeat. You know, you just do, <laughs> you do, then you do the same thing all over again at the next event and keep doing it. And you build up a, a nice network and you stay in contact with them. And how do you stay in contact with people? Do you, is it all personalized or do you do some sort of newsletter? Um, well, uh, I will, after uh, I meet someone, I will connect on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And now you're talking about meeting the, the connector. The advisor, meeting yeah. The f- right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll follow up on LinkedIn and then, again, try to get a, a one-on-one coffee meeting or lunch uh, and then uh, send them a thank you note for, for meeting and then um, – uh, occasionally, I mean, this is where I kind of fall down. I, I'm not, the follow-up is I could be better at this, but uh, occasionally if there's a, like if a, a book just came out, like this uh, farm, family farm history book, I'll send out a note, say, hey, I want to share with you this exciting new project that just got completed. Um, <clears throat> uh, and then I like handwritten notes a lot because mm-hmm. no one sends them. Right. And so it right. really stands out that you've actually taken the time to handwrite a note. Right. And there's no delete button for it. It's coming in the mail. They're going to open that envelope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, it really matters. So that's the um, one, one approach that I've found to be effective. Thank you for sharing it because I'm sure um, – I'm sure it is sparking ideas for a lot of listeners. Um, it's, you know, another avenue to go out and make our work known, make our services known, which is always a good thing. People don't know that we're out here. So if if this is one avenue that we can, you know, spread the word, then, then and it works. I, I love that. Um, so I appreciate you taking your time to talk to us. Oh, my pleasure, Amy. I'm happy to do it. If anybody wants to see your business or reach out to you, where should they go? Uh, they can go to storytrust.com. Uh, they could uh, email me, david at storytrust.com. You can give me a call. Uh, my number is 617-755-3283. And... Um, uh, when I'm not blocking robocalls, I <laughs> so chances are you'll have to leave me a message because uh, it's just, uh, that's the way it goes. Um, but uh, email is often a, a good way to kind of you know I'm always happy to talk to other personal historians. We have a very strong group here in New England, and so I encourage anybody who's in the New England area to uh, look up the. Uh, personal historians, uh, Northeast network, um, which is a kind of a follow on from APH. We're trying to reconstitute some, some professional sharing of ideas, uh, here in, in the Northeastern U S. So, um, I encourage anybody who's interested to come because we get together in person (laughs) every quarter. So it's, uh, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice support group. Right. Well, that's definitely something that I'm missing here in the Midwest. Um, just that I there are a couple of people that I know that do this kind of work, but um, we don't have a uh, we don't have an official group. Um, so it's it's always nice to be able to meet with colleagues. It's just it's sort of a a tonic for your brain. I find um, makes you know makes things it can 
revivify your excitement about doing work and it can clarify a whole lot when, you know, when we're sitting on our own, it's often, um, at least for me, it's sometimes hard to work my way out of problems, but when you have colleagues to talk to, it can really help. So, so good for you guys for having that. Um, Thank you so much and um, good luck with your, with your work going forward. Thanks, Amy. Okay. Take care, David. You too. And that wraps up our two-part interview with David O'Neill. I so appreciate hearing how other people have grown their business. You know, we are in an unusual situation, we, we people in the life story profession, because this is an industry where there really aren't clear-cut best practices for anything that we do, but particularly with marketing our services. And there are so many great ideas that I've learned since starting this podcast. You know, there's David talking about doing networking with financial advisors, Patricia Hamilton was on a couple of episodes ago. She talked about creating a community history, um, and that book was actually for sale, and they had a 500 print run that sold out the very first day. And people loved it so much that they basically coerced her into doing a second volume. Samuel was a guest on the podcast. She does retreats. She at one time had a brick and mortar studio. Marty McNabb is out there doing show and tell events. I believe she's driving cross country right now doing those. Um, and then we talked with ghostwriter Derek Lewis, who told us about scattering what he calls breadcrumbs across the internet, and that allows people to find him. And then, of course, we're very lucky because we have Deanne Atkinson, who is a marketing coach specializing in marketing for life story professionals. So yes, there are a lot of ideas out there. And I think we just need to try some of them out and see which best fits our circumstances. And if something doesn't work, then try something else. I'm really embarrassed that one of my earlier attempts at marketing was um, taking an ad out in the programs that they give out at um, arts events. So there's one company here in Kansas City that does all of the programs for um, several different arts organizations that ballet, the repertory theater, a few others. And I thought, oh my gosh, these are the people who are my target audience. They're interested in the arts. They're investing some of their time and their money in the arts. Um, And when I didn't get any response from the first print ad that I put in, I plunked down another huge amount of money and ran the same ad again. I didn't get a response either time. What I don't recommend is doing the same thing twice. I should have learned the first time. I didn't, but that's okay. Now I know not to do that again. Um, So in other words, try something. If it doesn't work, move on to the next thing, but also give it the amount of time that you think it needs to take. So if you're doing something like what David has talked about, building partnerships with people, building relationships, I should say, with people who can then refer you, that's going to take a bit of time and it's worth sticking it out to see if that is something that is going to be viable for your business. I know the focus on these last two episodes has been on marketing and growing our business. And, you know, that's just so important because if you can't make a living doing this, unless you have some other means, you are not going to be doing it for very long. So, you know, we all have to put bread on the table. So we need to know how to market our our services. But I want to close out this episode with something that goes back to the heart of life story work, why it's so important and why it probably draws all of us to helping people save their life stories. This is from an introduction to a book that I've been reading called Stories as Equipment for Living. Stories have lineages, they have histories and futures, they carry culture, they bestow meaning, and they construct the world. Thanks for listening. Until next time, go out and save someone's story.